You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hello everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. This week we present you with a shorter episode that still packs a punch with three excellent guests, including European champion skips, Madeline DuPont of Denmark and Bruce Mowat of Scotland, along with Greg Baldson, who led his team to a Canadian Curling Club championship title last weekend at the West Edmonton Mall. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me this week. Once again, my name is Frank Rock and as mentioned, this week we have interviews with the winning skips from the A division at the recent European Championships that took place in Sweden. My first guest, Madeleine DuPont, is well known in the global curling community and last weekend she won the biggest event of her career so far, leading her team to a European title which was a first victory for a Danish team at that event, men or women, since 1994. Madeline, I guess the obvious first question is, what did it feel like waking up last Sunday morning and realizing that you were a European curling champion? It is a strange feeling, isn't it? Like, not I've not tried it before, so it's for sure a new kind of feeling. The strange thing was that because we had a 15-hour drive home, we just decided to just kind of leave the party around midnight and then drive home because it was... It was just such a long drive with hangovers. So even though we all wanted to just go all in, it just wasn't possible because of the drive. So the first time I actually woke up in my own bed was Monday morning since we didn't sleep uh, on Saturday. But um, it's just, it's just so strange. Just for me, I'm waking up and it's just a normal Monday. I go to work like every other Monday and it's just a normal day, but still things have changed. It's, it's it's really like a funny feeling. So Madeline, if I had spoken to you a few days before the start of the Euros and told you that your team was going to win, would you have believed me? Did you think your team was playing well enough to win the European Championship? No. <laughs> 100% no. I know that we play well sometimes. And I know that the last two Worlds we've been playing really well. But we've never made it to the semifinals, not as a team and not in a big competition like this. Well, we we won <clears throat> Basel last year and made it to the semifinal in Basel, but still it's different because, of course, money are at stake, but it's not a title like this one, which is a very big deal for because that's something people notice, right? When you get a medal, people notice. When you win money, it's nice for you, but people don't really notice. I don't think I would have believed you, but... I would definitely have told you that there are teams that are better than us right now. So your team seemed to be on form from the very beginning of the week in Sweden. Was it simply because everyone on the team was on form? Was it that you got a read on the ice more quickly than other teams? What were the key factors that got your team off to such a good start at the Euros, uh, Madeline? I think we had low expectations, to be honest. We've been struggling for the last few tournaments. We haven't really had any big, big wins lately and. We haven't had any major tournaments in the past maybe six weeks before going. So I think our expectations were just low, (laughs) you know, and we were playing Sweden in the first game, which we almost always do, no matter the competition. And we know Anna's team is very strong, even without Sarah. And thinking that we could beat that team in the first game, 
no one really believed that. So when that happened, I think it just started a momentum that we didn't really expect was going to be there. And then we just kind of rode that wave for a long time. Now, usually in a long round robin event like the Euros, it is a normal for a team to have a bad game, a quote-unquote stinker, if you will. Uh, at the Euros, uh, your one loss was against Turkey, a team that most people would have expected you to beat, especially considering the form you had been showing. Did the loss against Turkey serve as a bit of a wake-up call for your team after getting off to such a good start? To be honest, it wasn't really, because we made a lineup change where Denise, my sister, she set out of that game, which we'd never done before. So we just kind of wanted to save her a little because we knew playoffs was definitely in the picture at that time. So we just wanted to save her a little bit. So she sat out, which just it kind of ruined the, um, not the momentum, but just our routines. Like we usually do them. It just changed only tiny little things, but enough to just get us a little unsettled in that game. And then Turkey played amazing. Like, I think we played a very good game, but they played amazing. So we didn't really stand many chances, even with our, um, can I say, regular lineup. We, I think we would have lost anyway. So they, they just had a brilliant game, and I 100% respect that. So your team faced the reigning three-time world champions, Team Tiranzoni, in the final at the Euros. Did you and the team try to reduce the pressure of competing in a European final by viewing yourselves as the quote-unquote underdogs, despite the fact that you had finished the top the standings in the round robin? It is, but it didn't really work. Because when I heard people uh, speak about our team or the commentators or whoever just you know spoke about the women's competition this week, everyone said that even though that Switzerland was favorites on paper, we would be favorites right now because of the way we played this week with one loss and they had three losses. And so I just heard people saying that they thought we could win it. And when you hear that, it's impossible to think of yourself as the underdog of this game. But I was trying my hardest and all the time I was thinking, no matter who wins, it's going to be the right winner because both the teams have had a good week and it's a good game, but... When you're there, you're not satisfied with silver. You just really want to win, especially when we made it that far. And it, it might never happen again, or it might, but I, I knew that none of us could be satisfied with just being there. In the championship final, uh, you were down one point with Hammer in the last end, but you were held to a single point, which forced an extra. What was the conversation like between the 10th and the extra end? I'm sure there was a little bit of disappointment uh, at not scoring the deuce in the 10th, yet uh, did you get a chance as a team to go over the strategy for the extra? Because it certainly looked like you decided to put as much pressure as you could on Team Tiranzoni in that extra end. We have a deal that we don't want to dwell on things that already happened in between ends. It happened... It it's done. So I think the only thing I really said before the extra end was people steal all the time in the extra end. It, it happens all the time. So we know exactly what to do. We know where to put those two center guards and the rest is just going to be up to tiny little details. So I think we were very um, just at ease with the situation because statistically people steal all the time in extra ends, especially with the no tech rule. So I, I just came to a point where whatever happens, it's the right team who won this game. But with that said, I think in the extra end, I think Switzerland was a little unlucky with a few shots and we just had some very good rock placements and that's, that's what did it. And yeah, it looked crazy on paper that we stole four because it, 
it, it wasn't really that kind of extra end, the right result would have just been one. But um, yeah, photo looks good on paper. So a little earlier, Madeline, I asked you what it felt like when you woke up the day after the championship final, knowing that you were a European champion. But now I want to take you back to that extra end and that moment on the ice when you realized the game was over and you'd actually won the Euros. What did that feel like? What were the emotions in that moment? Such a relief in so many ways. Because you're so full of different emotions. You're excited, you're nervous, you're happy, you're relieved. Like all the things that has happened um, have happened during the week. Like there are ups and downs. Even in a good week like we had, there are still ups and downs. So it's just a big pile of emotions. And the way I usually get them out is just by crying. Not that I'm sad or anything. It's just I'm so relieved that I just want to sit down and cry for a while because it just feel like I'm letting it all out. And I think that's how we all felt. You're just, it feels like you can finally breathe again after being so excited for such a long time. Now, I realize that curling is not as big in Denmark as other sports such as football, which is currently getting even more attention than usual because of the World Cup taking place in Qatar. How important is a victory like yours at the Euros to the future of the sport in your country? I hope it's going to mean something. To be honest, it's everything is World Cup right now, and that's fair because the, Denmark played on Saturday like we played the final on Saturday, so everything was just football which is very cool because we love football, but not a lot of people have noticed this win. But I do hope that it means that just like one or two little boys or girls are going to come to a rink and think like, hey, I want to try this sport. Because the last time I checked, I think we were 750 players. And that's everyone included in the whole country, like younger people, older people. And there are maybe 20 elite players, which is nothing. So if we could just inspire just a few people to come and try, I would be very happy because it it's looking a little thin on a junior level right now. So if we could just get a junior or 10 to come and play, I would be very excited about that. So what you're trying to tell me is that you hope you're not having to play the Euros when you're 63, right, uh, Madeline? <laughs> Yeah, I'd like someone to take over soon. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Madeline, I'm not trying to aid you here, but you're now one of the veterans of the sport of curling at the elite level in Europe. How nice is it for you to see not only your team do well at an event like the Euros, but also see countries like Turkey finish with a winning record at the Euros, and Italy, of course, playing so well in different disciplines, uh, including winning that gold medal at the Olympics a couple of years ago, and also doing well at this year's Euros. And of course, Team Jansch of Germany doing well at several different events over the past uh, several years. Uh, do you think we're getting closer to having more parity in women's curling in Europe than we've had uh, over the past decade or so? Yes, I think so, for sure. You can just, like, Turkey is a great example. They um, got into the A group, I think it's three years ago, maybe, from the B group, and they've stayed there since because they just put a lot of effort and probably money into it. And I think that's very good. It's not always just the same teams. But, um, yeah, then again, you need like a very good either government or elite sports organization that supports your team. We don't get any funding at the moment, which is very difficult because we all have to get in our jobs Monday morning after a thing like this. And it's very difficult to balance a full-time job and a full-time curling career. But I think if, if we can win this thing, then other countries with no funding can win this thing. And it's, to me, I think the more countries who can play for 
who can play to win these things, like who are in the, you know, in the playoffs different years, the better it is for the sport. I'm not thinking like, oh, no, I don't want uh, Turkey to be good or I don't want uh, other B countries that are in the B group right now to be good because then it hurts us. I think if the more countries where curling is being noticed, the better it is for everyone. So it's not just, excuse me, Canada or just Scotland or just Sweden. I think it's really good for everyone that the sport is growing. My next guest will also be known to many in our audience. Greg Bolson has represented Ontario at the Briar. He's competed at a few slam events. And last weekend, he won his second national championship. This time at the Everest Canadian Curling Club Championship held at the West Edmonton Mall in Edmonton, Alberta. So, Greg, you've been curling competitively for many years now. You've skipped at a briar and won a Canadian mixed. How did it feel to wake up on Sunday morning and realize that the previous day was not a dream and that you had, in fact, skipped your team to a national championship? Well, it's, uh, it feels awesome. Um, these guys that I play with uh, at Richmond Hill have been playing together for over a decade now. And um, just, uh, you know, doing it uh, for not only, you know, myself but in the club, but uh, to have give these guys uh you know as a team uh canadian championship it just uh feels awesome um the uh you know this is my uh was my fourth canadian final um won the mixed as a second in uh 2013 but um so i got uh back to 500 uh <laughs> two for four and not that I want to pump your tires, uh, Greg, but that's two more national championships than 99.9% of Canadian curlers will ever win. Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, no, it, it just feels great. I mean, we, we put in, um, you know, a lot of hard work and been playing together forever. It just uh, feels great to, 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 win, to win this one. Um, you know, we lost the Ontario final of this to Adam Spencer in Guelph uh, last year. And that, uh, you know, that hurt. Um, you know, because, you know, it's something that we really wanted. So your team went undefeated in a round robin at the Canadian Curling Club Championship. Was it a case of your team finding its groove early uh, and never really looking back? Or were there times during the week where you may have gotten the victory, but it wasn't as pretty as you would have hoped? Oh, there was a uh, there was one especially against Newfoundland was uh, definitely not uh, not pretty at all. Um, we were struggling with rocks, struggling with the ice. It just was really curling and so we ended up stealing two in the last end to win by one. I mean, they, we really should have lost that game. Um, um, I, I would say we found our, our groove pretty early, and uh, even though the the event got delayed by a by a day, so we were planning on playing Sunday night, and we didn't end up uh, playing our first game till Tuesday morning. How difficult was that delay, Greg? I know uh, from having spoken with uh, many curlers over the years that teams typically arrive on site uh, for an event like this with a fairly detailed schedule for the times when they are not on the ice competing. Your team obviously did well despite the delay, but I was wondering if it forced you to change the way you had planned on approaching the week at all. Definitely. Um, we had to, you know, I had a whole schedule done up for, well, the, t the team had a whole schedule set up. Um, what we were going to do when we had our time off, um, but to, to go to land on, you know, say Saturday afternoon and to have all Saturday afternoon and night, all Sunday, all Monday, um, just with a couple of practices, it was, uh, was a lot of time off and we're chomping at the bit, ready to go. And we were ready to play on Sunday and, um, they had, yeah, they had an issue and, um, getting a, the Zamboni off the ice, actually, um, to, to start making the curling ice. 
Zamboni broke down, from my understanding. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was really tough mentally to to just try to relax for those two days. And we we watched some curling, and it, you know, watched uh, some of the games on Monday night and mon- well, mon- all day Monday, really. But um, the good thing was that the West Edmonton Mall had lots of stuff for us to do. We played uh, some mini golf and kind of you know poked around and did a little bit of Christmas shopping and it. Um, we weren't just sitting in our room, just you know, counting the seconds until uh, until the game started. Yeah, I'm sure there are worse places in the world to kill time than the West Edmonton Mall. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was such a great, such a great venue, and it was really cool to, well, you know, to play in, um, you know, uh, well, it's always cool to play in an arena, but the arena didn't have seats. Um, they set up, uh, you know, some some bleachers. But uh, it was like the the fans were really like on top of the ice. Like it was really uh, it was different than any other arena I've ever played in. So, Greg, because of the delays early in the week, it was a fairly compact schedule for your team and everyone else. You won your semifinal fairly handily uh, on Saturday and shook hands after six ends. I know it may not have been a huge difference, but how important was it to be able to get just a little bit more rest prior to the final a few hours later? 100 percent and we had a yeah an extra hour for um than the other teams i'd say but um you know just to, to recharge and get some food into you and that extra time uh definitely helped and you know some of our our we played two games a day from tuesday through saturday and so we never had a three game day you know qualifying for the semis in two games rather than three i think really helped because um a lot of people went back out at 7 30 at night when we were you know enjoying a nice steak dinner you know so uh, it was uh just that extra time really helped not playing the three games in the on the friday but um yeah sure i mean any extra time in between games um for for my sweepers to recover uh, of course, yeah, definitely. I think it definitely helps. Now, one of the things I often hear from players who have just won a national championship is that they never got a chance to really enjoy the moment on the ice and let the fact that they are about to win a national championship sink in, usually because they are still involved in tight games where nothing has been settled until the very end. You had a relatively comfortable lead heading into the final end of the championship game in Edmonton. Did you allow yourself a few minutes to enjoy the moment while you were still out there on the ice while the game was still ongoing? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't really sink in until, you know, you throw your last stone and, you, you know, they shake your hand. But, uh, yeah, we stole one and seven to go up by four and, to, and playing eight. But So they, they had to hammer with the five rock rule. You know, you never, you know, a three is always in play, even if you make all your peels. Like, so to be up by four really, really did help. Just a little less pressure, I'd say. But all it takes is one nose peel, and and now you could be looking at four. But uh, you know, you just, I'm so focused, uh, you know, on every shot, and like you can't take anything for granted. I mean, the, that Quebec team, we played them three times, and they're one hell of a team. Like they they uh, they made a ton of shots. Like in the seventh, uh, their skip made this awesome triple. And if I don't make my freeze perfect, we're, we're we could give up three or four easy, and we got a tie game coming home. Um, but, uh, I really played, uh, well, I made a really nice freeze 
to to get a steal uh, in seven to to pretty much to pretty much clinch it. Greg, how much did you lean on your experience from the Briar and from previous national finals to help you navigate the Everest Canadian Curling Club Championship final? You were at least familiar with the pressure of playing in big games late in the week in major events. Oh, one hundred percent. I every experience, curling experience uh, that I've had uh, helps me for the future ones. Um, and I actually, I try to, you know, r- relay that to my team as well because they may not have, well, they haven't experienced everything I have, but just uh, preparing myself and them for, oh, this is what you might feel. This is this is what the ice might be doing in the final, or because we lost um, the the club championship uh, final to Alberta in 2011, and two of my guys out of the three um, were part of that team, and so. Even that experience um, helped them, um, and my, of course myself. I've played in a lot of big games, and there, I, I, you know, I remember them all. And finally, Greg, uh, what are the biggest differences between the level of play at the Everest Canadian Curling Club Championship compared to the level of play, say, at a Slam, where many of the best teams in the world are competing? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the sense I get is that the difference is consistency. The top clubs, um, the top club players, pardon me, typically can make all the shots, but can they make them consistently under pressure while playing against the top teams in the world? Well, absolutely. Um, yeah, the better. You know the bigger events at the Briar and Slams and whatnot. Those guys are just very consistently good. There's a lot of club teams out there that you 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 run into, and you, they you know you have a you know you have a good game. They may have a bad game, something like that. But the potential is there for a lot of these teams um, that that play at the club level. Adam Spencer's team from Guelph, like I said, uh, we lost in the final. Three of those uh, four guys played on tour for 15 years like they they had the experience now when you get out of the competitive side of things uh you know your consistency may may not be there but uh that's that's it um the experience is there the, the the shots are there like all these guys are capable of making these shots it it it's exactly what you said it's uh it's just consistency my final guest this week is Bruce Mowat of Scotland, who led his team to their third European Championship title last weekend in Sweden. Bruce put an exclamation point on what had been an excellent week for his team by making two incredible shots in the last end of the championship final to lead his team to victory. So, Bruce, your team has had quite the run at the Euros over the past few years. What is it about the European Championship that seems to bring the best out of your team? Um, it's a good question, and one that I've not really figured out, but... Uh, we love a championship and playing on championship ice. Um, we always seem to play really well when we get to these major championships, like regardless of if it's a Europeans or a Worlds or um, anything similar. So, yeah, we, we just seem to feel quite settled in them and we've obviously gained a lot of experience. So uh, I think that all kind of comes into play when we play them. Now, it seemed like your team was able to find your rhythm early and maintain it throughout the week at the Euros in Sweden, uh, Bruce. Did it feel like that to you and the team, or did you end up having a couple of quote-unquote clunkers that may have ended up with a win, but that weren't necessarily that pretty? Yeah, I think that's the difference between like the more successful teams, I suppose, is like even if they have a bad game, they can still get a win. And we didn't have our best performances throughout the week like this was by like far wasn't our best 
um, campaign at a Europeans, but we still managed to get like across the line in some games. Um, like especially the first game against Germany, we didn't have a great game, but we, we still managed to sneak it. And like Denmark as well, like we we didn't play great, but we still managed to get the win. Um, so those kind of games like come into play quite a lot towards the end of the week, obviously. But the games that we had against like Sweden and Italy, we played really well. And you know you have to step up your games against the the tough opposition. And I'm really glad that everything kind of clicked into place for us this this time around. So early on in the semi-final against Italy at the Euros, uh, it was relatively low scoring. I think it was uh, two to one or, or something after five ends, which brings to mind a question I don't think I've ever asked you, Bruce. Uh, in events like the European Championship, are you comfortable playing low scoring, sometimes defensive games? Or would you much rather be aggressive from the outset and put as much pressure as possible on the opposition? Yeah, we normally go quite hard from the the uh, outset really we're kind of like even if they go top four in the first end we'll, call, we'll throw a corner guard uh, we're that kind of team like we go hard for our two early if we have hammer so um it, it just kind of sometimes happens when you're playing a team like Italy when they're they've got um amazing talent in their hitting ability uh, they're just going to make angled runs and um kind of clear some space to get like blank ends and stuff and it just sometimes happens like that now, for those that did not get the chance to watch the final, uh, Bruce, uh, the game was tied at three after eight ends, and you gave up a steal of one in the ninth to fall behind for three. But it could have been much worse. Tell me about the shot that your teammate Grant Hardy made in the ninth that got your team out of a spot of trouble. Yeah, it's um, potentially one of the best shots I've seen. Uh, like I think it was the way that Grant kind of came down, told me what he wanted to play, and then... I was kind of telling him, like, okay, that's a really tough shot. Like, I, I'll call for a half stone, and if we hit a thin half and make the triple, then great. Um, but ideally, let's just focus on making a double. And, like, Grant came down, and he was like, this is what I'm playing, let's make it. And I was like, okay, if you if you feel comfortable uh, or confident in doing that, then let's go for it. And, you know, he made it. And <laughs> I was just kind of like, wow, what a shot. Um it's like a like an angled run back triple basically is what he made and ended up being a quadruple but he took out one of ours as well so yeah unbelievable shot and it, it set us up for a, a to at least have a shot in nine that I ended up missing but we don't need to talk about that <laughs> all right I promise not to ask you about that shot but what I do want to touch on next is what the conversation was like amongst the team between the ninth and tenth ends I, I mean scoring two with hammer at your level is very doable but you also happen to be playing one of the better hitting teams in the sport uh, in the championship final in team Schwaller of Switzerland. How confident were you and the boys between that ninth and tenth ends that you'd be able to muster enough offense to generate a deuce against a Swiss team that typically hits very well? Well, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about trying to get our two. We're going to talk about how we're going to do it. And we we're able to kind of figure out what they're going to do tactically to prevent us from doing it. So... Like, it's obviously going to build, like, they're going to throw the center, we're going to throw the corner. They're probably going to come round or throw a long guard. So you can basically map out the first three shots. And then it's just about who makes the shots towards the end of the the, uh, end. And, you know, we were fortunate that we got into a position where we had shots, but it wasn't looking very good 
probably midway through the end. We thought we were probably going to be struggling to score or maybe even just score one. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Bruce, uh, Team uh, Schwaller is an excellent hitting team. So was there a point in that final end where you had to shift gears, as it were, in order to create an opportunity uh, that could give you a shot for Deuce to win the game and the championship? Well, yeah, we basically just obviously switched on to the aggressive tactic and tried to bump their stones back T to kind of build a wall um, to hopefully have catchers for our stones. And that's kind of how it ended up playing out. Like we managed to get three or four of theirs back T and we managed to sit on top of theirs. I know they had stuff around the center, but we had like the corner guard that we could run in or the one that was kind of top 12 that we could try and run as well. Um, so we had options, but it just required like tough shots to be made. Now, speaking of tough shots, Bruce, many European kids, when they are young, dream of making that penalty to win the World Cup. Or in Canada, they dream of scoring a goal in overtime to win the Stanley Cup. For young curlers, often the dream is to make a really difficult shot to win a major event. At the Euros, you pretty much lived that dream. Can you walk me through the final two stones you threw in that last end and what was going through your mind having to make those tough shots to win a European championship? Yeah, I think like growing up, that was obviously one of my dreams was to make a, a shot to win a championship. And um, I always kind of uh, imagined it being a draw to the forefoot or draw to the button or something like that. But um, I guess I was just fortunate enough to have the angles kind of set up well for me. Um, well, being able to make that kind of seven eights just off nose run back um, double, I guess it was. Yeah, it's not something that I ever kind of imagined having to play in a, a European final, but I'm very fortunate that it did kind of line up for me and that there was shots and options there. Um, and like, you know, obviously got some of the best sweepers in the game and Grant, who's able to call line better than almost anyone so you know I was pretty confident in making the shots and I never really doubted it and then it wasn't till after the game that I was like oh those were actually pretty tough shots like I just felt pretty confident in that that moment. As we discussed earlier, Bruce, your team seems to have cracked the code when it comes to the Europeans, having won it three times now. Is it fair to say now that the next obstacle your team will want to conquer is the World Championship, an event your team has played well in but never won? Well, yeah, definitely. That's like what we kind of sit down and talk about at the start of each season is what we want to achieve. And um, short-term goals for this season was to win the Worlds, um, obviously because we haven't won it before and it's a massive kind of... um, accomplishment to to have so that's definitely one of the ones that we're we're going to push hard for over this kind of four years but um i would love to be able to go to ottawa this year or next year even and to um try and compete for that world title because you know winning a world and winning it in canada is pretty special to most curlers and even if you're not from the uh, or from canada it's pretty special playing a world championship in your country Bruce, I know that not only are you an excellent curler, but you are also a big fan of the sport. And I also know that the focus is on your competition when you're at an event like the Euros. But how much fun is it for someone like you to see so many newer curling nations not only participating at the Euros, but also doing increasingly well? As an example, uh, Turkey finished with a winning record in the A division on the women's side. Their men's team qualified for the World Championships as well. How exciting is it for you as a fan of the sport to see these newer curling nations improving getting good results and hopefully growing the game in their respective countries yes 
obviously amazing to see these countries come through and that was the first time i've ever played um spain as well so spain um i've played them at mixed doubles and stuff but uh the spanish men's team that was the first time i'd played them at the europeans and it was really cool to to see them and turkey in the a division and actually winning games um turkey men obviously qualified for the the worlds for the first time um so they'll get to go and compete in ottawa which is really exciting so yeah it's just it's great to see the kind of grow the growth of our sport and like even watching the I can't remember the name of the competition, but like the Pan Continental, yeah. Um, like it's amazing to see even all the teams that are in the B division there. So like, um, India won a game for the first time at a championship or something, and it, it was just so exciting to see where the sport has grown to over the past kind of four or five years. So Bruce, your team is coming off a pressure-packed last year of an Olympic cycle. Uh, what did you and the boys do over the summer to re-energize and, and allow yourselves uh, the rest needed to come back this season and find your form relatively early in the new season, considering the uh, Euros was only your fourth event of the season so far? Yeah, so we, we obviously took a bit more time uh, to start our season. Like we, didn't, we, we played one event in August like in Switzerland, and then... Uh, took the whole of September off and then um, like we still threw and we still practiced together but we didn't play any competitions so the boys and I obviously spoke over summer decided to have a bit more of a relaxed start to our season and uh, to kind of build up towards the Europeans which uh, we were fortunate enough to get selected for so yeah it's it's kind of worked out in plan but it would have loved to started the season a bit better with playing like the two slams that we did I wish we had better results but like the Europeans kind of showed us that we're we're not a million miles away from where we were last year, and obviously motivation levels and um, all those kind of things that happen on the the back of an Olympics, it's bound to happen in this season. But you know, I feel like we're in a good spot again, and really excited to see what we can do next week at the Slam in uh, Oakville. And finally, Bruce, you're currently in Canada for a mixed doubles event in Winnipeg, followed by uh, the next Grand Slam of the season in Oakville. Now, I realize that the men's events will always uh, be prioritized in your schedule, but how much do you enjoy getting out and competing in mixed doubles a few times a year? Are you able to relax a bit more at mixed doubles events, or are you and your partner, Jen Dodds, in full-on competitive mode at the mixed doubles events you play during the season? Yeah, I'm probably more... uh like very competitive guy that really doesn't like to um lose so i, I take every uh opportunity to compete at the highest level with pretty serious regard i guess but you know it's really fun playing with jen like both of us have a good time together and we were pretty good friends off the ice so um i do enjoy the mixed doubles and it, it's a wee bit more relaxed for us but we're still here to kind of compete and obviously to try and win the event and jen would be the exact same like Jen's uh, both of us are very competitive with each other so um, we push each other pretty hard and that does it for this week's episode a huge thank you to Madeline DuPont Greg Bolton and Bruce Mowat also, don't forget to check out our partners and friends in the Curling Podcast Network, the Two Girls in the Game podcast, the Rock Logic podcast, and the Curling Legends podcast. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.